Hi, everybody. Um, my name is Catherine. I'm a compulsive eater. I am a grateful member, long-term member of OA. Um, I'll tell you a little bit about my story. I didn't quite get the message that I was getting recorded or that um, I had 20 minutes. So, but I've got plenty of <laughs> plenty of experience to share. So, um, I'm going to talk about Tradition Five, but I thought I'd tell a little bit my story around how what it was like and um, and how I found a way and what it's like now. I have. Uh, I grew up in a family of with my two sisters and uh, my parents in um, locally. And uh, my mom was raised by alcoholics and my dad traveled a lot. So my mom didn't have a whole, well, not because of that, but because she just didn't happen to have a lot of social skills and wasn't a big communicator. Um, she never wrote to me. She didn't say a whole lot. She, um, you know, she did a lot. She fed us well and she clothed us and made our clothes and and made sure we had what we needed and took us skiing and did all sorts of fun stuff. But she didn't have a whole lot of social skills. And so when we were babies and kids, we were little babies, we were fine. But it seemed like the only um, uh, way she could control us is to feed us. And so I just felt like I, I've, all three of us have issues with food. And um, just felt like, you know, if somebody's crying, stick something in their mouth because she did not like crying and whining. Um, and so I just, I, for one, what maybe because I was the first one to get diagnosed with um, obesity when I was five years old. And the doctor told my mom that I was clinically obese and that she had to put me on a diet or to stop, you know, giving me so much food. And I don't, you know, I don't know how heavy I was. I know I wasn't and from the pictures. I wasn't, you know, you know, like scary heavy but I was definitely heavier and food was definitely a big part of my childhood. Um, so then that started the restricting from, from my mom's end. She would, she would still buy all the stuff, go to the outlet stores and buy mass quantities. She had, we had a chest freezer in the garage, which she filled up regularly and, um, and would lock it with a key, but she'd also buy boxes of mixes and put them way up on the shelf high, but there would be, you know, 20 different styles of those things up there. And um, it was just like, there's always something around. It was, it was kind of, um, but there was a lot of restrictions around it. So I felt like I was like limited, although, you know, I, I was pre pretty easily could, you know, climb up on the counter and get the mixes and make my own whipped cream or dream whip or whatever. Um, and find the key to the freezer and, you know, get in there and, and eat things that were frozen and all that. But um, it just felt like it started this thing. And I just, I think maybe I was very creative and uh, um, precocious. So I would do anything to get to the food. I mean, it was, and when I got older, when I got to be a a teenager or no, even when I was in elementary school, I would go extra an extra half a mile to the 7-Eleven to get food from get sweets from the 7-Eleven so that I could, um, you know, have uh, extra because I would eat my lunch on the way to school. And then I would, you know, then I would eat that. And then, you know, then I would maybe try to whatever, buy lunch or whatever, mooch off of other people. Um, so I always felt like I was always hungry and food was just always, you know, kind of exciting because I was like naughty and I could be creative and whether I was decorating it or stealing it or whatever. But and as I got older, I would, you know, I would I'd steal coins from my parents' pockets. I I started wandering the neighborhoods and uh, 
found that the na- the guy across the street had a window open for his cats. And so I went into his house to look to see if he had any food in there, but he was not at all into that, but he did have a drawer full of coins and um, he owned a laundromat and um, or some laundromats. And so he had this, I don't know, in his bathroom, he had a bunch of coins. So I would just take some coins each time and I'd use that to go to 7-Eleven or whatever. I mean, I was... Oh, my uh, my friend and I, I, I convinced my sweet friend to go around with a wagon to people's houses. And, and we were Girl Scouts and say that we were collecting bottles for Girl Scouts and that, you know, we would use the money for the troop. But of course, the money would go to her and I would buy AIDS candy and do all sorts of stuff with that. I mean, food with the money, jello, raw jello and stuff. <laughs> it was oh poor woman, young woman. Uh, anyway, so. Um, anyway, so I was, you know, kind of way into it and it was, it never really seemed like a problem to me. And, um, I was always a little heavy, always felt like I was, you know, overweight. I tried diets. I tried, you know, the bananas and milk diet and other things that I was never really ever good at it. It was just, it was just, uh, it was, it was definitely getting food was a big process for me. Some people like free food. That wasn't for me. I really liked the sneaky food. I, I liked, I mean, eat in the bathroom and stuff like that. Anyway, fast forward to, I got, a, let's see, I was out of college by then and I started a women's, I was in a women's therapy group. And one of the women in the group saying, you know, you talk about food a lot. Maybe you should come to OA with me. And um, I didn't, you know, I, I knew food was an issue. And I was, you know, like I said, my weight was always kind of an issue. My body always felt like it was too big. And so I went with her and I heard you all talking about food the way I felt about food. And you were talking about how you weren't eating sugar and sweets and candy. And I just like, this just seemed impossible. And I didn't think I could ever do it, but I really was attracted to what you all were saying and the honesty. And you know, you're actually having conversations. I mean, this is what I was getting out of therapy too, is, you know, learning how to, how to communicate, how to have conversations, how to say how I felt. And so um, I just kept coming back to meetings and knew that I couldn't ever do it. I could never give up chocolate. That was just like, I mean, at that point, I just, you know, I'd wander around town to the different bakeries and I, you know, I'd spend at that time is like $5 a day on chocolate just, just for that. And uh, um, so anyway, it was, uh, it just seemed impossible, but it was, um, it just definitely gave me hope to hear people talking about how there was a solution and that there was a, also a spiritual component to it. And I think one of the other things about OA was that it felt like it was a place where you didn't have to pay. That was a huge selling point that you didn't have to pay to do it. So it made me feel like I could trust you all. And um, so I kept coming back and I'd been going back. And during that time it was about a year, I was getting ready to get married. And during that time, I also decided I would stop kind of restricting my food. And that was one of the things I got from OA was it felt like I didn't need to like be to myself and try to force myself to not eat or whatever. And I, there was more acceptance about myself and my body. But when I got married and I saw the wedding pictures, I saw that I was like, I heavy and uh, I mean my dress still fit and everything but I was over 200 pounds and uh when I saw the pictures I just thought oh I've got a problem and then I knew what to do I just happened to be in the rooms anyway I would just go once a week but and there was somebody in a a group I was in um a, a man who was in OA and so I asked him to be my sponsor he's someone I felt like I could trust and 
Um, so I worked with him and started working the steps. And just by reading the um, the AA, this this is my original AA twelve and twelve. <laughs> um, we'd just read a you know a few paragraphs each night and then talk about what we learned from it. And uh, I felt like I was getting I was getting it. I figured out what I could eat. I figured out my food plan could be something that you know based on calories at that point. It was like what would someone who's at my goal weight eat to survive? Because I didn't want to go on a diet. I didn't want to have to then you know, restrict and then go back onto something else or change that. So that felt like it made sense in my head and I didn't feel like I was on a diet. So, um, so I lost weight, but it, it happened a little faster than I thought. Um, I, uh, but anyway, so I got to my goal weight and then um, that day I got pregnant and then, then, and then all bets were off. I just started eating again. I just like, I didn't, Someone has suggested if you're pregnant, you need to eat this and you need to have the, I mean, someone in program. And I thought, oh no, I can't, I can't do that. I can't restrict or I can't do what people are telling me. There's something about the authority that got me that kind of uh, confused me. And so I thought, I guess I can't do OA. So um, I was working at a bakery at the time, a restaurant, and pretty much hooked up to the milkshake machine and, you know, gained back up to 200 pounds. This was after I got to like 145 <laughs> And, uh, but then I had my child and then I came right back to program because I knew that that was, that was a thing to do. And, um, for my second child, I stayed in program and it worked out, but it was just, you know, it was a learning process. And, um, but it was definitely, you know, I didn't think that, um, I could do any, I couldn't change. I don't know. I just didn't, couldn't put any restrictions on myself when I was pregnant. I don't know why. Maybe it was just carte blanche. I could do whatever I wanted which I did. And um, it did, you know, it did show, I mean, how many people gain 60 pounds? I mean, I mean, I guess it's not uncommon these days. It's not as common, but anyway. Um, so I've been coming back to program ever since. I just felt like I've just been um, happily a member of OA. It's felt like free therapy for all these years, been 30 some years. But in speaking about tradition five, um, so over the years, I've been doing, you know, some service work, working in the, um, you know, being a secretary or something like that. And that's then 10, Catherine, that's 10. Great. So um, I had a. Um, um, well, actually, after my mom passed away, I felt like I had more time. My kids were grown or growing and uh, kind of out of the way. And um, I didn't they didn't need me so much. And so I started doing more service work. And and then the last few years I've been doing working on the in the inner group. And, you know, there were times in the inner group it's been, you know, challenging sometimes because you're actually putting service into action and um, working with people on real stuff and making decisions and trying to coordinate and do all the things and follow the traditions, which has been really a, a fascinating training ground for that. Another for me, free therapy. Um, and just tr trying to, um, in doing service, I felt like I've, I've kept my head in program and I've kept my, uh, you know, doing service keeps me coming back is one of those things because um, I wouldn't be at this meeting this morning at 845 because I have other things I do on Saturday mornings, but I was asked to speak. So it was, you know, it's service and it gets me doing what I need to do to, for my own recovery. Um, and that's, you know, one of the things they say about tradition five, which I'll, I'll read again, Oops. I'm, since I'm reading from that AA book, it's, yeah, it's the same. Um, each group has but one primary purpose to carry its message to the uh, uh, compulsive eater who still suffers. 
um, so I was reading Tradition Five, and um, it's a it's kind of an in, in the AA book, and it was it's kind of an interesting story where it actually talks about somebody who's feeling a little shaky with their abstinence and um, goes to find someone who's in a hospital who's like a flat out drunk and is in bad shape, and so. Um, so he tells the story about how he goes in there and, you know, talks to him, not about like, you should do this or that, but this is my experience. Um, so in tradition five, um, you know, the, the point is made that, you know, we found recovery. It's our responsibility to share it kind of like as if in the story, it tells um, if there is a group of doctors who find a cure for cancer, you know, it's like, it's incumbent upon us to share that, that answer and, and save people, especially if it works. And also in tradition five, we talk about if it's it's if we want to keep our recovery, our sobriety, our abstinence, we need to give it away. And the giving it away for me helps me stay connected with people who are still suffering. It keeps me from thinking, I've got this. I can, you know, I can coast now for the rest of my life because there's always something that comes up. And it's not even just the food so much anymore. It's more like life. It's like I've been reminded over and over again that the way I can get through my life with joy and happiness and connection with people is to continue doing the work of the steps and having sponsees and working and being in meetings with other people who are still suffering reminds me that that's, that's how I get motivated to keep it and to, and to give it away some more. And um, they're also the concept that no one understands another compulsive eater like someone who's doing it, you know, someone who's done it and has had recovery from it. Um, and only we can bring the message of hope because we we don't come as compulsive eaters to another compulsive eater who hasn't found a recovery process or hasn't found recovery is that we can share our story and we can share what worked for us. And people believe us because we know what it's like to be 200 pounds or 500 pounds or whatever it is our story is or, or bulimic or, or restrictors. Um, so let's see. Um, and the selling points for me, and then let's see what else. And also, you know, tra tradition five isn't just for people out in the world who don't know yet about OA, but people in program who, who are in relapse. And so people who are struggling. And so it's another way to practice the steps and practice relationship, you know, better relationships and humility by reaching out to someone who, you know, has maybe dropped out of meetings or, or who looks like they're struggling or who is not turning on their camera or ever, or you don't see them anymore. Or, and especially during COVID, so many people are, you know, kind of are stuck in their homes or kind of still, still isolating. And this is a disease of isolation. And the recovery for me has been to get out, to reach out to people, to get help for myself. Um, and so reaching out to members and relapse is part of the tradition five. Um, the selling points for me is that it worked for me. And it, it, the selling points to another person who's suffering is that it worked for me and I can share that it's free and it's an effective way to practice humility. So um, by, you know, I'm not going to, uh, I don't think it's effective for me to go up to someone and say, you need this or that, but this is what I did. And in the story by this uh, in the um, AA 12 and 12, the um, the man who's trying to help this guy who's uh, a drunk says, uh, the, the drunk guy says, how much does your scheme cost? And he said, I was thankful I could tell him nothing at all. His next question, what are you getting out of it? Of course, my answer was my own sobriety and a mighty happy life. 
still dubious, he demanded, do you really mean the only reason you're here is to try to help me? And, and I just love that because that that is really why we're here and why newcomers are so important to us because we need to be reminded what it was like. Five minutes? Yay. Okay. So um, let's see. Then there was a dis discussion about the spirituality that, you know, some people are affected or bothered by us, you know, saying you have to believe in God. And that's the wonderful thing about OA is that you don't have to believe in anything, just that that there's something greater than yourself that can restore you to sanity. And in this story with this man talking to the drunk in the hospital, he was talking about that. Um, uh, he said something about, let's see. Uh, thank heaven I came up with the right answer for the question of like, how can you talk to me about religion? It was based four square on the single purpose of AA. You have faith, I said, perhaps far deeper faith than mine. No doubt you're better taught in religious matters than I. So you, so I can't tell you anything about religion. I don't even want to try. I'll bet too that you could give me a letter perfect definition of humility. But from what you've told me about yourself and your problems and how you propose to lick them, I think I know what's wrong because the drunk guy was saying, my wife is doing this to me and this is why I drink and this is my boss's, my boss makes me do it or whatever. And so the drunk guy says, okay, give me the business. Well, said I, I think you're just a conceited Irishman who thinks he can run the whole show. This really rocked him. But as he calmed down, he began to listen while I tried to show him that humility is the main key to sobriety. Finally, he saw that I wasn't attempting to change his religious views that I wanted him to find the grace in his own religion that would aid his recovery. From on, we got along fine. So I just love that story because it reminds me that, you know, we're here to learn humility, to to grow, to to become more connected to other people, to be of service in the world. And that's how Tradition 5 uh, supports me in my life and my recovery. So thank you.